0: Welcome
1: to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and today to discuss Psalm 3, we have Dr. Libby Backfish joining us, which, as you will find, is a real treat. Libby has a PhD in theological studies in Old Testament and is an assistant professor of Bible and theology at William Jessup University, which is just down the road from where we are at Granite Springs Church. You might think we're only having Libby on this early episode of the podcast because of these academic credentials, but you would be wrong. That's far from true. Libby, as you'll hear, is not only a brilliant mind, but a wonderful person and has a deep love for helping people love God and follow Jesus more faithfully. One little technical note, we had some technical difficulties, which were entirely my fault. So Libby's audio may, along the way, take a little shift in quality but I trust that the conversation is valuable enough that you'll bear with it. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's get to it. Here's Libby reading Psalm 3.
0: Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me
1: Libby, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you, Matt, for having me, and thank you for that generous introduction. It's my privilege to be here.
1: Well, it's a true introduction, and the podcast is punching well above its weight class here, and I feel like I'm looking forward to just being along for the ride as we talk about Psalm 3. Yeah. Three Psalms in. <sighs>
0: That's excellent. I'm so excited about this Psalm.
1: Just before we started recording, you, sh- you showed me how you've been geeking out, but one of my favorite things of what you said is... Whenever I spend time in scripture I suddenly discover sort of this is my new favorite psalm <laughs> just <for laughs> yes. spending time with it which is great So inevitably, we will have you back on. So it'll be interesting to see maybe, you know, one day when the podcast has passed away and all things have moved on, which psalm does land as Libby's favorite. But (laughs) it's fun to get to discuss this one. Yes. Well, Libby, you might know and listeners know we the way we kind of structure this is we walk through our three kind of big general questions. So let's start with the first one. And I'm super curious to hear what stood out to you in reading this psalm.
0: Yeah, so a lot of things stood out to me. I'm going to narrow it down to to just a few. You've already gone through Psalm 1 and 2, which are kind of the introduction to the whole Psalter. So Psalm 3 is the first psalm in the main body of Book 1. It's also the first lament psalm. It's the first psalm of David, and it's the first psalm with a heading. So it's it's pretty exciting. (laughs) But one of the things that really stood out reading it right after Psalm 2 is what a juxtaposition, what a kind of contrast it is with Psalm 2. Like Psalm 2, we have the Davidic king who is anointed. He's installed on Zion. He has this son and father relationship with God. He has this kind of unshakable kingdom and throne. and, And people are to kiss him or to honor him it just seems like that's how things should be. That's a description of the expectation of this Davidic king. And so it's it's Hmm. so startling when we get to Psalm 3 and we read that the expectation is not David's current reality here. If we look at the heading, he's not even in Zion. He has had to flee because his son Absalom has rebelled and usurped the throne. And he certainly isn't being honored. No one is kissing him with honor. In fact, they're rebuking him and taunting him with their words. So that especially struck me because I I feel like we so often in different seasons of our lives have a reality that's very different from our expectations. And Uh. like right now during COVID, I promise you a year ago today, I was not expecting to have to do anything via distance. I was not expecting <laughs> to have my kids out of school or have the, the fear of a disease. I wasn't expecting to be away from my family. And the reality has just been jarring. And so I think a lot of us can kind of resonate with that with that juxtaposition. and We can feel that pain. Mm.
1: You know, we kind of dive in in each episode of this podcast into a particular psalm. But to weave through, and we've talked about this in Psalm 1, our episode on Psalm 1 a little bit, but to weave through and to see how even just praying these sort of consecutively and together also has this formative impact where it's like, whoa, what is, what yeah. is happening here? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. We, we so often, unfortunately, look at Psalms as just a collection of random recipes in a cookbook that have just been randomly put together, <laughs> but they're very intentionally put together. And like you said, reading them consecutively can really help shape how we pray
1: yeah. I love that. What What else? You, I mean, I know there's more. I know yeah. you've got more things that stood out to you. What, what else was yeah. there?
0: So the other thing that stood out to me is, you know, they're talking about all these enemies. And in the NIV, mm. it's, it says how many are my foes. Many are saying of me. Many rise up. So they're really emphasizing how many enemies are against David. And I don't have many enemies, fortunately. I mean, I don't have many foes (laughs) who don't like me, or at least I don't know about it. So I call (laughs) it...
1: Secret enemies. Right.
0: So in a sense, it's hard to relate to that. But if we notice what's happening with these Psalms, even though there's specifics in the heading, in the description, the Psalms themselves are very general. It's not identifying who the enemies are or even exactly what David's up against here. And I love that because it kind of makes it more generic so that I can more easily apply this to myself. Because although I don't have enemies, I'm not running from someone who's usurping my throne, I do have enemy voices. And in verse two, when it says, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. I think we all hear these challenging voices, either from other people or even within our own hearts that are challenging our faith to the core. And that seems to be what's happening here to David. And and that resonates with me. I again, during this season of COVID, I, I've seen on social media, I've heard from my non-believing friends, you know, like how can you believe in God now when the world seems upside yeah. down? You know, how are your how are your prayers and thoughts turning out for you now? And and just challenging mm. our trust in God and the fact that even in spite of all this, He's got everything in control. And the voices of doubt come from myself as well. So I just love how the psalm kind of democratizes this for everybody to pick up and use. Like we can we can pray this psalm even though we aren't running from Absalom because we do have these challenging voices from outside and within ourselves. So that that struck me as well.
1: I think that's so helpful to name. I think sometimes the enemy framework or uh, idea feels so inaccessible to those of us living in relative comfort, you know, where there's a general kind of politeness across our society. And maybe we could debate whether that's permeating everywhere, but it can feel really hard to like say like, oh, yeah, here's my enemies who I'm fleeing. But often, I think all of us sort of have moments where we wake up, you know, at 3am or something, and there's voices of could be worry, or just kind of these negative voices that are functioning in these same ways that are putting words to this. I love I love how you draw that out. It's not just a a military battle kind of framework that's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to say something about Lament Psalms? This psalm is doing all kinds of first things. It's first with a heading, so we know where it's coming from. And then you also said it's the first Lament Psalm, which introduces maybe a big theme.
0: Right. I kind of have the privilege of of talking about the the first Lament Psalm that we approach. So Lament has four basic components, and we see them all here. They're not always in in the same order, but there's always some address to the Lord. So we have it just real quickly here, verse one, Lord. Uh, There's always some kind of complaint with what's going wrong with the psalmist's life. So usually that complaint has to do with enemies, like in Psalm 3. Or it could be against God himself. Hey, God, you're not listening. Where are you? Or it could be something within the psalmist, him or herself. So we see this in repentance psalms and things like that. So the complaint. And then there's always some kind of petition asking God to do something. So a request. This is what I would like you to do about it. But then there's a fourth component, which is so important, especially when we get to the formative aspect of these psalms, um, how it can form our own prayer life. And that is a statement of trust. All of these mm. laments are couched in and framed in their deep trust in God. The psalmist can cry out to God, uh, to God in really kind of dramatic language and can put um, trust in God to respond to those requests because uh, they trust God so, so much. And so we see all of those components in this psalm. So what we see happening with those four elements in Psalm 3 is there are four stanzas. In the English, you've got eight verses. And the first two verses are stanza one, and that's our petition. So the psalmist is talking about the many, many, many foes. They're rising up. This is what they're saying, that there's no salvation for God. The second stanza is verses three and four. And it's, this is where we see the statement of trust. God uh, is a shield around me, a voice that I cry out to and he answers me. Five and six, the third stanza is another statement of trust that the psalmist has peace. The psalmist can go to sleep and wake up at night knowing that God is sustaining him. And then at the very end, we have the petition. After we have all of that kind of situated in this Hmm. deep trust, then the psalmist has this confidence to boldly ask God to arise, God to save him and be his salvation, So I think that's really helpful as a model for us to pray, because I think in two ways. One, we sometimes think that it's irreverent to complain to God, that maybe we shouldn't bring those kind of problems to God. And the Lament Psalms remind us that, no, absolutely, we can. If suffering, if something injustice, something wrong is bothering us, we can be pretty sure that it's bothering a holy and righteous God as well. Yeah. And he will listen to those. And then it also reminds us that these Lament Psalms aren't just complaints, Um, they're they're couched in trust. And that's, I think, so fundamental in how we shape our own our own lamenting.
1: Yeah, in my notes, I had what stood out to me, I don't know if this is because I'm a parent of a newborn, or what the case might be. But that verse five, I lie down and sleep. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, yeah, right. I get that. But I just was reflecting on kind of this It feels like there's so many layers of meaning. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And there's this immediate context clearly of enemies, right? And when you're on the run, it's probably not a good idea to lie down and sleep because Mm -hmm. they're going to catch up with you, right? You got to keep fleeing. So there's that immediate context. But even just this more basic, literally the Lord sustains my breath. Mm -hmm. I, I won't wake up. Unless you sustain me. And there's sort of on multiple levels, there's both the faithfulness of God sort of immediately to me, covenant with me kind of faithfulness. But then there's also the fundamental reliance on a creator and the fact that the very breath in my lungs is dependent on his kindness uh, in many ways. And so, yeah, I was really captured uh, by that particular line. Again, who knows if that's sort of my latent, my latent early parenthood uh, coming out in reading. <laughs> well, song three. I
0: I always took sleep for granted until I became a parent and <laughs> woke up four <laughs> times a night with an infant. So yeah, sleep is precious. Yeah, and also COVID. I don't know about you, but when all of this first hit, I've never struggled to fall asleep, but I started having trouble. Maybe it was the anxiety, uh, of, yeah, or whatever. But it was it was hard to fall asleep. I would wake up at weird times and. Yeah, and it's the peace that God gives us that enables us to sleep and his faithfulness that wakes us up.
1: I mean, it it goes back, I think, in some ways, often, at least when I'm struggling to fall asleep, part of the issue is the narratives and the voices are racing in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what this person said or what this person thinks about what I've done. And it goes back to that verse, too, right? So it's a remarkable, within just a few verses, it's a remarkable thing to say David's sort of saying, there's all these voices, and yet (laughs) I lie down and sleep. And I'm thinking, that's not an easy thing to do. Let's move on to our second question, which is, what do we learn about God from this psalm?
0: Yeah, I just I love the way the psalm paints such beautiful pictures of what God is doing for the psalmist here using metaphor and imagery that just is so beautiful. So and we see a lot of this, especially in those uh, middle stanzas. So verses three through six, mm. where it shifts, it, it shifts dramatically in the Hebrew for but you, you, Lord, it's kind of like he's almost pointing a finger emphatically are a shield around me. And it's not just a shield like in front of me like covering one vital part, but really around me. And it reminds me of that beautiful benediction Mm. that we say in Granite Springs that I think has its roots echoing the St. Patrick's breastplate, the Lord go before you to lead you, behind you to protect you, beneath you to sustain you, beside you to befriend you, something like that.
1: Nice job. Yeah. I, I might no, be that's getting exactly some right. of them wrong.
0: I always wondered why there wasn't an above you to do something, but
1: <laughs> I know. yeah, we could we could add one. Yeah. To the northeast to Yeah.
0: <laughs> this could get really this could get really long, yeah. But just that you know, that holistic protection of God. And then the next the next line in verse three, my glory and the one who lifts my head. That imagery of When you are feeling defeated, when you are feeling insecure and your head is down and God restores that honor, that security, that confidence, that, that, you know, physical lifting of the head. Uh, And then in verse four, God's a God who answers us when we cry out to him in desperation. So often we we feel sometimes like our, our prayers aren't answered or we question if our prayers are answered. And the psalmist here is reminding us to have confidence that they absolutely are being heard and answered. Not always in the way that we want them to be or immediately, but he's listening. And then verse 5, the sleeping one that we talked about, and this shows how God's sustaining us, giving us peace, so that the psalmist doesn't have to fear in verse 6. And and the word here is obscured a little bit in the NIV, but it's the same word for many that we saw in verses 1 and 2, those many foes. He's saying, I don't have Mm -hmm. to fear the many of the people, literally. So he doesn't have to be scared of those, even though they're all around him. He actually has God all around him as a shield. So I just think those two stanzas show how much God is doing for us and listening to us and sustaining us.
1: Yeah, that resonates so much, Libby. Uh, I was just struck by how active God is and how personal he is in this psalm which is, you know, one of my comments when I was talking with Kevin about Psalm 1 is with this question, my inclination is to try to find the the sort of action verbs. <laughs> what, what is God doing? And Psalm 1 does, has just a little bit of that. Psalm 2 has it more but kind of on a zoomed out scale. And here suddenly Psalm 3 like zooms in and here's like what God is doing for me personally. He is active. He is answering. He is shielding. He is sustaining. He is delivering. He's doing all these things. And they are personal to David as he writes this psalm and personal to us too, which is really, I mean, a marvelous thing.
0: You know, I have noticed all this imagery, but I haven't noticed all those active verbs and that that personal aspect of of God responding to the psalmist in particular. And I love how you described how it's kind of pretty big picture, which makes sense for those introductory psalms. And then we're yeah. really zeroing in on one particular psalmist. That's helpful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about this third question because we've started talking about it already. I mean, what I love about these questions, right, is they intersect. You can't help with the psalms when identifying things that stand out to you, identifying things that we're learning about God or the ways that they help us to pray. But to kind of zero in on this question, how does this psalm help us to pray?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that struck me in terms of the lament and how this shapes our own prayers is that we have this reversal between the complaint in verses one and two and the petition in, in verses seven and eight. And it's really a poetic reversal between what the enemies are doing and what they're saying in the beginning and what the psalmist is calling God to do. So if you look at some of these verbal links, you have the foes mentioned in verse one. There's enemies, different word, but same idea in verse seven. And these foes, they rise up against David. And the Hebrew word there is kum, rise up. And we see that same exact word used in verse seven. David is saying, Lord, I want you to rise up. The enemies are rising up, but I want you to rise up. So he's saying everything that the enemies have said and done, that's all wrong. It's actually God who's gonna rise up because he is salvation. And why does he have this confidence? Because of that deep trust we see in verses three through six, that deep trust in who God is, that he's protecting him, sustaining him, restoring him, giving him sleep, all those things.
1: Yeah. The, the trust element here is so interesting because its I, f- I find it's one of the more challenging parts of praying sometimes. It's one of the things that I marvel at in Psalm 3 is this deep abiding trust trust. It's not just sort of, it's, yeah, it's trusting that God is faithful to do what he said he will do, right? In some sense, like even even goes back to Psalm 2, right? This image of God's special relationship with the king. And it's almost like, okay, God, you said that. So I trust you will, (laughs) which I'm like, man, that is not always my prayer life. My prayer life is like, God, you said you'd do this. I have some questions. (laughs) So yeah,
0: especially when things are going wrong. I, I think it's, everyone's different. Some people trust God very easily. Yeah. But for me, it's much easier to to gush on the trust language when everything's going well, when the trust is proven. It's when God's presence and things are challenged, that's much harder. I got some more areas to geek out on because I've got a great quote from Rolf Jacobson about that same thing, about yeah. trust in difficult circumstances. All right, so Rolf Jacobson, a Psalms commentator, says, the psalm is written out of a situation in which all earthly reasons for trust have dissolved, mm-hmm. which it's almost to believe to build his hope on an unearthly foundation, the fidelity of God. As the old hymn has it, all other ground is sinking sand. So when things just seem like there's um, no reason to trust in God in our world, yet God has given us so much hope and reason to, to set our trust on him.
1: I love that. And it strikes me, practically speaking, for us in the 20th century, that is part of the gift of praying the Psalms. Not only having the Psalms teach us to pray, but actually praying the Psalms helps draw us back to these words. So in the seasons where I don't want to move past verse two, (laughs) you know, I just want to say sort of many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And that's the end of my prayer Where That's my instinct. I then have verses three through eight that help Call me forward and through and beyond, maybe even where my own spirituality is at or my journey's at, and invites me into something bigger. Right? I love that trusting in the fidelity of God when I can no longer trust sort of on on my own capacity. Um, yeah, it kind of gives but, us
0: the resource when we don't have it in ourselves, and yeah. it, it nurtures our own hearts and minds to think in that way. The more we read this this psalm, the more our own extemporaneous prayers uh, will reflect that element of trust more intuitively. Yeah. Definitely something that has to be shaped. Our sinful hearts don't naturally always pray well (laughs) and it conforms our hearts to that. Even if our heart isn't there, it will conform our heart to that, to that ideal.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, Libby, this has been such a delight.
0: I just love that you're doing this. I think this is so fun and I love how you're going in order and, um, Psalm four will be really fun. I read in some commentaries how Psalm three is considered kind of a morning prayer with that rising language. Oh yeah. Parallel language in Psalm four as an evening prayer. Some call Oh. I'm excited to be a listener on that podcast. <laughs> See where you go love with that, that song
1: well now you set you set me up nicely so i'll say on that episode you know psalm 3 is kind of a morning prayer and psalm 4 you'll make me look really good thanks libby so much for doing this i it's a gift to have your voice as a part of this and i look forward to having more libby maybe without as many technical difficulties in the future although of course we can never promise that so thanks for coming on from the lord comes deliverance may your blessing be on your people With those concluding words of Psalm 3 and in the confidence of that blessing, go out and pray the Psalms.